Welcome to the Victory Orlando podcast. We exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and to connect them with their purpose. To learn more about us, visit us at victoryorlando.com. Thanks for listening. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired by today's message. So today we're going to look at the third statement, but I want to start um, by uh, reading through our our theme verse for this series. It comes from Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Um, and We've been reading it yeah, each week in a different translation, just to kind of give us a different perspective on what the Scripture says, because you can look at the same object from different perspectives and kind of have a different view of it. So that's what we want to do is just get a kind of a different view, kind of get some depth into what God is speaking to us through the Scripture. So today I want to read uh, Hebrews 12, verse 2 and 3 from the Passion Translation if you've never read that, it's a, it's a wonderful translation. You can get it on the Version Bible app. Um, but it says this in verse 2. It says, we look away from the natural realm. That's everything that we see around us, right? It's the world. It's the trees. It's our cars, our house, our friends, our spouse, our kids. It's our bank account. It's our work, the people that like us, the people that hate us, all those things. Everything that we can see with our eyes, that's the natural realm. Everything that we can touch, the natural realm. The writer is telling us, look away from all that. Great, so what do I look at? Well, he gives us that answer too. He says, fasten our gaze onto Jesus. I love the way it says that. Another translation says, look to Jesus, but this says, fasten our gaze. And I was thinking about what that means. Like, to fasten means to like, to lock onto something, to latch, you know, latch onto something. I think about my seatbelt when it says, fasten your seatbelt. You know what I'm saying? You're like, click, you hear that click in there. And then like, you can pull on that thing as hard as you can. It ain't coming out. The only way it's going to come out is if we deliberately push the release button and then that thing comes out, right? I mean, you, I, I hope that none of us are in a wreck, but if, if a person was in a wreck and their car gets messed up, like the seatbelt's going to stay in place. Everything else, the radio might be flying out the back window, but that seatbelt is going to stay locked in, right? And it's the same way for us in life. If we can just lock our eyes on Jesus, like ain't nothing going to take us away from that place. Like the storms come, problems come. Like when our eyes are fixed on him, the only way that we can uh, not have our eyes fixed on Jesus is if we decide to fix our eyes on something else, right? It's the same thing. Like we just got to get our place where we can fix our eyes, fasten our gaze onto Jesus. Why? Because he's the one who births faith within us and he leads us towards, uh, leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. Isn't that a cool statement? I, that makes me smile just reading it. But, like, Jesus' joy and why he suffered and why he went to the cross was knowing that we would be his. Oh, that's so good. If you miss everything else, just get that right there. That Jesus, like, like, like you were Jesus' five-hour energy shot. Come on, somebody. You were, you were Jesus' monster. Come, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you were Jesus' Red Bull. I just, okay, come on, somebody. It's okay to laugh in church this morning. It says, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered the humiliation, and now he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, here's our part. Here's what we do. So carefully consider how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who oppose their own souls so that you won't become worn out and cave in under life's pressures. Like this right here is telling us that God's will for us is to overcome. 
It's not to cave in, not to just collapse under the weight of everything that comes our way. Jesus, is, he's calling us to a place, and he set an example for us so that we could overcome, so that we could stand strong, having done all to stand, that we could remain standing in him, right? So we're, gonna, we're looking at these, uh, these statements that Jesus made from this place of pain, right? We call it Good Friday, the day that Jesus was crucified, but it was only good for us. It was not good for him. It was his worst day, and sometimes when we think about that day, I don't know about y'all, but like it's hard to imagine sometimes the the uh, the trauma that he went through, just in his physical body, but also emotionally in his mind. It's hard to imagine the severity of you know the the beating and the punishment that he took in his body, and some it, like it's even hard to process sometimes, like understand what that was like. But it was from this place, the place of his greatest pain the greatest wounds that were inflicted upon him that he didn't deserve, that he makes these statements that, man, can revolutionize revolutionize our lives. Today I want to look at this third statement. It's found in the book of John. Um, None of the seven statements are all included in one gospel. They're spread out in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if uh, there's, there's a, a reading plan out there called the Harmony of the Gospels, where you basically read the Gospels kind of together as though they were one book, and you kind of see them come to life that way in, in this kind of chronological order. And in fact, we're doing a Bible reading plan right now on the YouVersion Bible app, and you're all invited. It's not too late to join in with some of us that are, that are doing that. We're just going to read this, the Harmony of the Gospels, together leading up to Easter. Um, the link will be on Facebook later. You can grab that. Please join us. It'll be a, a great time to study the Word together. But this third statement is found only in the book of John. Um, I think it's interesting that it's only in the book of John because this story actually includes John. If, uh, if you haven't read the book of John, you should. It's got some beautiful parts into it. It's a wonderful account of Jesus' life. But John was an interesting dude. I hope you guys, when you read the scripture, you read some of the, the, the humor in it, some of the funny moments that are in there. John is definitely one of those moments because every time he talks about himself, he always makes sure he's talking about himself in a good light. Like, he's never the one causing the problem. He's always the angelic one, you know. Even the way that he refers to himself, it's just funny. We're going to see it here in the scriptures today. John is funny. He must have, he must have uh, had Instagram or something because he loved his own highlight reel. He loved to make sure that people knew that all the good stuff that he did, right? And we see one of these moments where John is highlighting himself in John chapter 19, verse 25 through 27. It's this moment at the cross. Jesus is there. He's already, he's already been beaten. He's already been nailed to the cross and lifted up. And there he is. He's already made these first two statements. And uh, if you were a follower of Jesus, uh, this wouldn't have been a safe place for you to be at the foot of the cross. It wouldn't have been a place where you would have felt uh, like your life was safe. In fact, um, the disciples actually felt the opposite. We see that when Jesus was arrested, they ran in fear. They scattered. They, wouldn't, they didn't support Jesus. And then after the crucifixion, it tells us that they were locked behind a door hiding in a room because they were afraid that they were going to come for them next. So they, this wouldn't have been a place they would have felt safe. It wouldn't have been a place where they would have picked to be. It would have been a place because of the Roman guards that were there, because of the Jewish leaders that had plotted to kill Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry. Y'all think ministry like is easy. Like the day that Jesus steps into ministry, like religious people are trying to kill him. <laughs> That's kind of crazy. Think about that for a minute, right? So here's, here's these disciples, but we see this picture of people gathered around the foot of the cross, and Jesus speaks to them. John 19, verse 25, it says this. It says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, 
Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So we see these four women here near the cross. One of them was Jesus' mom, Mary. Because when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, yep, that's John. He's talking about himself. <laughs> you catch that? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Now imagine you're hanging out with the 12 disciples and the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he's talking about himself. He's like, hey, y'all, Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loves, we're going to go get some lunch. <laughs> yeah, that would wear thin real fast, wouldn't it? Like, this is, how, this is how John refers to himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Oh, that's so funny, right? All right. He's, he's standing there nearby the cross, and Jesus says to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. They weren't related, but Jesus is connecting family in this moment. So Jesus, is, he's putting the focus not on himself, but on others in this moment. And it says, From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So all the seven statements that Jesus makes are powerful and they're building blocks for our lives. But I think this one is incredible because when we think about the situation that Jesus is in, the amount of pain that he's in, um, you know, the amount of shock his body would have gone through in that moment, just the trauma that he would have had to have been experiencing uh, physically and mentally in that moment. And here he is in this moment, not thinking about himself, not self-preservation, but he's actually able to see through all the the wounds and the bruising and the swelling and the blood that would have been all over to see somebody else and to not only see them but think about them what would be best for them and to think about their future it's interesting i i mean i don't know about you guys is it okay to be vulnerable as a pastor to y'all this morning is that okay thank you Rhonda said okay so i'll be well um when I'm sick or I'm not feeling good or I'm wounded, you know, I need to be taken care of. <laughs> Some of y'all that way, I ain't going to call you out. It's okay. My wife, Heather, is the selfless one in our marriage. She's the one who's always like taking care of people and always thinking about other people first and always doing nice little sweet things for people. Maybe some of you have experienced that when you met her, you know, and she one day does something for you and you're like, or maybe buys you a little gift and you're like, how did you know I want this? And she's like, I, you said it through once three years ago and I just remembered. And that's how she is. And I love that about her. She just does that for people. And that, that's part of who she is. But I'm growing <laughs> because me, my natural response is like, I need this for me. I need to make sure I'm taken care of, right? But I'm, I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm thankful, right? But how many of us, like, we get in those places where we're in pain, where we're wounded, and our first response is not to reach out and help other people. Our first response is like, I need to make sure I'm taken care of and that I'm, like, I have what I need, right? We, our, our natural instinct is self-preservation is greater than others, right? Anybody else in the house this morning? All right, somebody. I'm going to amen myself today. But here's Jesus. He's actually shown us the opposite, that if we would begin to look at others in those places of greatest need, valuing others greater than self in those places where we're the most wounded, where we're the most hurt, that that's a key to overcoming in our lives. See, crucifixion, um, the Romans uh, really perfected the art of crucifixion to cause the maximum amount of pain, the maximum amount of trauma to, over the longest period of time. When you read historical accounts 
of, of crucifixion, there was, there was many that they got it to where it took days for the person to die after being nailed to the cross, which is why they were trying to break Jesus' knees so that they would kill him quicker, right? As, you know, read the account. They were trying to uh, speed up the process because they had designed it in such a way for it to take a long time, for it to be excruciating. And here, Jesus, in typical style that he did, he's kicking it up a notch. So here in this place, not only is he seeing the need, he's seeing that they're there, but he's connecting them together. So he's thinking about his mom's future in this place where life is literally flowing out of him, right? He's, he's bleeding and his life was literally leaving him. And in that place, he's thinking about the future of his mom and he's connecting family. So at the cross, he's mending things that were broken. He's creating family together. He's thinking about others. What's the key for us in this? What's the principle? If we're going to overcome in our bad days, if you're taking notes, write this down. We need to be sure to take care of those who are near us. Be sure to take care of those who are near us. Why is it so important? Because the reality is a lot of things happen to us in life. We go through a lot of situations. um, And just so often our natural response is not to take care of those who are near us. In fact, the world has a phrase for it, right? And so many of us have probably said it or heard it at least before is that uh, we, we end up hurting those we love the most. That is absurd, right? And it's not biblical. Jesus is showing us a different picture that if we're really going to let the life of Jesus flow through us, then we're going to love and take care of those who are nearest to us, even in our moments of greatest pain, even in our moments of greatest need, because we all go through it. We all go through a spectrum of pain, right? And it's different at different seasons of our life, right? Sometimes when we're 18 or so, and we, you know, nobody likes our Instagram picture that we posted. That can be painful, right? It's painful. It's real. And just the same as when we're 45 and maybe we lose our life savings or we lose a job. Like the pain is real. It's just on different spectrums of pain at different seasons of our life. But the struggle is real. Anybody else? All right. It's quiet. I'm going to take your quietness as yes, I'm going through some things, right? We all go through some things. It's real and it hurts, right? I made it, as I was thinking about it, I mean, I've been through my own bad days. I wrote down a few things that can cause bad days, right? Maybe, you know, for my students, maybe you failed an exam at school and you're dreading bringing that report card home. That could be a bad day, right? Maybe uh, your college football team, you know, oh, now the bad day starts. Maybe they always lose in the college football playoff. That's my team, Oklahoma, right there. They always lose. Maybe your team is UCF and you're always overlooked by the college football playoff and that's your bad day. Football can bring some bad days, y'all. Come on, somebody. Sometimes you get, uh, you know, a toxic email or an angry text from somebody. You know, there's all kinds of things like that that happen. Maybe your car breaks down or you lose your keys or you drop your phone and the screen breaks. That's a bad day, right? Maybe finances are getting tight. Maybe you got that notice from the bank. They're going to foreclose. It's a bad day. We all go through some things in life. Maybe you just, (laughs) have you ever woken up in a bad mood before? I got this hand raised. Let me raise this one now. Sometimes you just wake up and you're in a bad mood, right? Like, why are you in a bad mood? I don't know. I just, I just, I don't know. I'm just in a bad mood today. All right. Amen myself right there. If we're not careful, though, we have to be careful in those moments when we're in those bad days, not to let it become our default response, not to let it become habit, because once it becomes habit, then it's instinct, and now we're lashing out, and everything is always this bad day, and we're always, in fact, hurting those who are near us rather than caring for those who are near us, right? We've just got to be careful that when we're wounded, right, we don't want to carry that pain. We want to get rid of the pain. So what do we do? We try to transfer it to somebody else, 
right? Maybe by some comments that we make, some snarky or rude comments we make. I want to transfer this pain because I don't want to carry it anymore. Or, or I'm going to be angry and let everybody else know. We process our pain in different ways, don't we? Right? Some of us, you know, some of us are the, the silent treatment processors. I'm not going to say anything, but you're going to know I'm mad, right? Some of us are the powders, right? I'm going to go hide in this corner because I'm hurt, and I'm just going to wait for somebody to come ask me how I'm doing. Nobody asked how I was doing because no one knew you were over there in the dark corner pouting by yourself. Some of us are the outburst. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I'm going to let you know. Oh, you're going to know, right? Some of us are that way. Well, what are we doing? We're trying, we're in our own, our own ways, we're trying to take this pain that we're feeling, the burden that we're carrying, and transfer it off to somebody else because it's too much for us to carry. The problem is, is that we weren't meant to carry that. Those around us weren't meant to carry that. There was only one that did carry it. His name was Jesus. All right, come on, somebody. So we just got to learn in those moments that instead of trying to pass off the pain to those around us, that we need to really deal with the issues that are deep within our heart, right? It's not about just giving it to somebody else, letting somebody else know that I'm upset. Hey, I've got to begin to deal with some things deep down inside. So can we do that today? Can we dig into some of those deep places and let God do some things in us? We've just got to be willing to deal with the pain or else it will escalate. It will always escalate. It's never just going to stay a pain or a care that we have. It's always going to escalate, and eventually it's going to come out in ways and, and wound those around us, right? Those that we care the most about. So even in the midst of these bad days, right, we, just, we have to realize that so often people get locked into this whole thinking of, like, this is just how it is, and, th- and, and then however I react to things is how I am. It's who I am, and you just, you just have to deal with it. This is the way I am. No, 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 listen. That's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that we've been given an overcoming spirit. We've been given a victorious spirit, right? Just some people have, deci- have, have latched on to a defeated spirit. Some people have latched onto an overwhelmed spirit. This is all just too much for me. I'm just done. I'm done. I can't deal with this anymore. Some people have just latched onto those spirits rather than latching onto the spirit of God. The choice is ours on which one we want to have. But when we received Christ, we've been given an overcoming spirit. Right? But just because you've been given a gift doesn't mean you have to receive it. Right? Same thing from our spiritual enemy, the devil. Just because he's trying to give us defeated spirit doesn't mean we have to receive it either. Right? We've been given an overcoming spirit. That's why scripture says we are more than conquerors. What does a conqueror do? A conqueror rides out. He might not have everything that he needs, but he rides out and conquers some things, baby. Like he wins the battle. He gets the job done. That's what a conqueror does. We're called to be a conqueror. Think about this. Even scripture says the spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within us, has been given to us, right? Think about that. The same spirit that defeated death, that defeated hell, that defeated the grave is inside of us. Come on, that's good. That's the spirit we've been given. Same thing. It says that God didn't give us a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity, a spirit that pushes us back into that corner. No, it says that he's given us a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. 
Like this is the spirit we've been given. We are overcomers. We are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. I just need you faith to get stirred up this morning. And like we're not going to be defeated. We're not going to be overwhelmed. Right. That's why he says I might be beaten down, but I'm not knocked out. I might be pushed down, but I ain't destroyed. That's all you can do is knock me over. I can get back up, baby. Come on. Like that's the spirit that we've been given. Right. Come on, somebody. I'm going to start. I'm going to start preaching this morning. But it's really like that's why we need the Lord. That's really why we need Jesus in our lives every day, because, man, left to our own, just the overwhelming things of life come at us. But Jesus is there to go with us through the process so that we don't have to go it alone. His word gives us help. The church is there like the the body of Christ is there to give us help. We just got to take advantage of it. Right. We're going to look at. Let me show you in Scripture. Second Peter, chapter one, verse two, it says this. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Woo! I don't know who needs peace in the house this morning. I don't know who needs some grace, but that's for you right there. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is a prayer that Peter's writing to the church. Grace and peace be yours. How do I get that? I need that in my life. I'm glad you asked. We get that through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus. So if you need grace and if you need peace, it comes through our knowledge, our, our knowledge of him, through knowing him. So if we don't know him like personally for ourselves, if we're not in relationship with him, then don't be surprised if you don't have grace and peace. If we're not spending time worshiping, if we're not spending time in the word, if we're not spending time praying and, and communing with him and laughing with him and like like relationship with him, like then we're going to miss out on the abundance he has for us. He goes on, he says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. So everything that we need to overcome a bad day, everything that we need to find that solution for that thing at work, everything that we need in our family to get things in harmony and unity, get everything that we need in life he's given to us, right? Everything. And how to do it in a way that honors him, right? So everything that pertains to life and godliness. So everything to live and to do it in a way that honors him. Great. How do I get that? Same thing. He says it again. It comes through our knowledge of him who's called us by his own glory and goodness. So if we want to take advantage and access everything that God has for us, everything that he's given us so that we can live victoriously and overcome in this life and have grace and peace in abundance. If we want to have that promise that he says, it comes through if we know him. Do we know him? Do we know his word? Do we know his spirit? So, t- so often we say the Lord is in the room today. I, I can say it because I, I've been with him on my own and I know when his presence is in the room. Like, do we know him when he speaks something to us? Do I know that's his voice or do I think that's just a thought that I had? Do I know his word? When, when I'm faced with the situation, what comes out of me? Is it the worry? Is it the fear? Is it things other people are telling me, something I heard on a TV show? Or is it the word of God that I put inside of my heart? That's how we know him. It's through his word. It's through his people. It's being gathered together, right? It's good. That's, that's how we know him. So it's not, in, it's not in if I can be good enough. It's not in the things that I can do. It's not in my bank account or in, in how many promotions I've got. It's not in my achievements. No, it, it just boils down to do I know him? If we don't have that, we don't have anything else. That's what Christianity is, is a relationship with Jesus. That's what, that's what it is. That's good news, somebody, right? That's good. It's getting where we can say, God, I need you more than I need anything else, right? So I think it's important that we understand the importance 
of how to do this, right? It's important that when maybe we're even inspired, like, yeah, I do need to take care of those around me. But if we don't talk about practically how do I do it day in and day out, because tomorrow there's going to be some stuff come, and if I don't know how to put it in practice in my life, then I think we missed the mark. So I want to give us four decisions that we can make in our lives that are going to help us in this process of caring for those around us, of kind of reversing the selfishness mentality where others become greater than self, right? I want to give us these four decisions. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write them down. The first one is we need to identify the real problem. <laughs> identify the real problem. Like, I thought the problem was this person. No. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says this. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So our problem is not our spouse. It's good. That means that we might have had a bad day at work, but that doesn't mean there's a problem with our wife or our spouse or our kids. But sometimes we think there is, right? right? So the problem is not with our spouse. It's not with our kids. The problem is not with our boss. Your problem is not even the person who lied about you. I'm about to blow somebody's mind. Our problem is not even our enemies. They're not our enemies. Scripture is telling us there's something else going on here, that there's something in the spiritual realm that's happening, that that's where the battle is. That's where the battle should be. But too often we've just made the battle against each other when we should have been attacking the thing in the spirit and allowing the spirit of God, the fruit of the spirit, to be evidenced in our lives to bring the result that we want. We kind of go about it the wrong way. We fight it naturally and then come back and say, God, what happened? I need your help in the situation. Scripture is telling us to attack it the other way. Attack the problem spiritually. God, what would you have me to do? And begin, begin in prayer, begin in worship like we were singing. This is how we fight. My weapons are praise and thanksgiving. My weapons are when I'm on my knees and on my face before the Lord. My weapons are humility and honor. Those are my weapons. And when I begin to fight that way spiritually, then I begin to see results in the natural. Right? That's what he's saying here so we don't wrestle and struggle against flesh and blood not against each other our battles against the rulers against authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms it's not a sci-fi movie it's not meant to be spooky or weird he's just giving us a picture of this unseen realm that's just as real as the natural realm that's where we started today hebrews 12 look away from the natural realm fix your gaze onto jesus he's giving us the same picture Our battle is not against the natural realm. It's against the spiritual realm. There's some other things going on. And listen, I'm not saying there's a devil under every rock, okay? Right? Sometimes we give the devil way too much credit, okay? The devil is just an opportunist, okay? We just make him out like like he's way more than that. He's an opportunist. Here's what I mean. Sometimes we, you know, we... We're, we're in the middle of a month and we go out and we spend some money. Maybe we spend too much money on things. And then we get to a place where we don't have enough to pay the bills. But in fact, God provided enough. It's just that we spent too much or we spent it on some things we shouldn't have or whatever. We spent it on those other things. And then we get like, I don't have enough. The devil must be trying to rob from me. Uh, like, no, we just spent too much money. We're giving him the credit for something that we, we just, we didn't budget. And so we didn't know. And so we didn't spend our money in the way that we needed to. And now we're in a hole and we're, no, we just, we just need to, you know, sometimes it's us, right? Sometimes it is our spiritual enemy, but we're, this is what I'm saying. Like we're not putting a devil under every rock, but we realize we have a spiritual enemy that wants to see a crack and slip in and try to trip us up. Right? It's like when we're maybe you're at work and somebody says something to you, or you're gathered with your family having a meal and somebody look looks at you funny and you're like, Hold up, bro. 
And all of a sudden, what happens inside of you? Like defenses start welling up. Be like, oh, yeah, you're going to be like that? I'll show you. And, and all of a sudden, the enemy is looking for that opportunity where he can slip in with a fence and trip us up. And no longer are we acting in love. But now I'm responding in, in unforgiveness and bitterness. Now I'm holding on to something. Like, now, like, you, like he's an opportunist looking for a place where he can slip in and try to trip us up. That's what he's doing, right? And then little by little, the longer we stay locked into that thing, the longer we stay in that place holding on to that thing, little by little, now it becomes something that I'm familiar with and now I'm used to it and now it's my default response and that becomes more of my nature because I'm, paying, I'm gazed more upon that thing than I am upon the Spirit of God. God, where are you? Your voice seems to be so dim because all my attention and all my energy is on this other thing that the enemy has tripped me up with. That's why he says, fix your gaze, lock eyes, like be locked in, like tractor beam to Jesus. Like everything is locked right there. Like that's where our attention has to be. Sometimes it's just, it's just the changing of perspective, identifying the real problem, right? Uh, I, I mean, I like to put it on a scale of one to 10, right? I mean, I'm going through a situation. Where is this on the scale of one to 10? Being that one is everything is good and 10 is the end of the world the worst thing that life can deliver to you. Because sometimes we just like, I don't know if you've ever blanket statemented anything, you know, like he never and she always and this is the worst, right? Any blanket statements. And it's in this place where we don't have the perspective and we just blanket statement everything like this is a 10 plus. Like really a 10 plus. So like maybe it's a life-threatening illness or a loss of a loved one or, or something catastrophic that's like the worst thing life can bring us, 10 plus, oh, okay, it's not that, it's like a six. Oh, okay, so, man, you just lost your job or you're losing your house or, you know, you're, you know having, your, your marriage is on the rocks. Oh, no, it's, I guess it's probably a four then. Oh, okay, so you lost your keys, maybe your car broke down, you got a flat tire, you dropped your phone in the river and it floated away whatever. Oh, no, no, no. I guess it's probably a one and a half. Oh, okay. Now, now we're down back. Like sometimes it just takes a simple like uh, tool to reset our perspective sometimes to realize it's not as bad as we think it is. And listen, I'm not, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not trying to make light of the things that we go through because I know we go through things. I've been through things, but I'm just saying we can overcome in those moments. That's what Jesus came to give us, was the ability to overcome in those moments. Come on, somebody. We just need to identify the real problem. Here's the second decision we need to make, is to avoid the pity party. Avoid the pity party. Don't accept the invitation. And please, please don't be the one to make the invitation. (laughs) Oh, man, the pity party. I've thrown myself many a pity parties. Anybody else? My party planning committee. Come on, somebody. Like, we just need to, like, stop planning the pity parties, right? Because the first person invited to that pity party is me, myself, and I. Because nobody knows the pity and the trouble that I've seen like me. Right? Nobody knows the trouble. I'm going to start singing that song. Nobody knows. All right. We're going to stop that. We're going to avoid the pity party. Right? But what pity parties are never good. See, we think when we're in that place that it's going to produce a result that's going to help us out of it. But in fact, that place will never produce the power of God in us. It will never create an environment where the power of God can work in our lives. It always actually does the opposite, right? Because when we have the pity party, you know, I'm terrible and I'm no good shows up, right? And then, you know, anxiety is taking a selfie at our pity party and invites depression and all those other things that come along with it. It's never good. 
self-loathing and, and fear and, you know, then all kinds of terrible things start showing up, you know. It's, it's no good. We've got to avoid that pity party, right? Let me look, let's look at this in Scripture. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Cast all your anxiety. One translation says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. The word cares there, the word anxieties, cast all your cares, your anxieties. It it's, comes from the same kind of basic word that uh, Jesus used in the parable of the sower when he talked about the cares of this life. What's the parable of the sower? It's the parable where the person is sowing the word, the farmer's sowing, and he plants some seed uh, on good ground, some on stony, some on thorny, and some on pathway ground, and all the different grounds produce different things. Well, one of those grounds is the thorny ground, like the cares of this world, this same word here that's used, the root word for cares and anxiety, the cares of this world, do I have enough? Can I provide for my family? Are we going to make it through a, a, a rough situation? What about my job? Are we going to have enough? Are we going to make it what about all these things all the cares of this life come up and choke the word of god out that's what the parable was is it chokes the word of god out and then there was nothing left and this is the picture we have of so many people who've who've been in church and served god but then the cares of this life come along the worries and the concerns and and do i have enough did i get the promotion did i did i get this we didn't get to buy a bigger house we always just had this one house and we didn't get to buy a new car every three years and all the cares of the life this life and did i did i give my family a good enough life all those things come and what it says is if 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 it's not kept in the right place it begins to choke the word of god out and then when we need to draw on the word when we're facing a storm and a bad day there's nothing there because it's been choked out like it's what the cares of this life do that's why we weren't designed to carry it that's why he's saying cast all those things to the lord why because he cares for us he loves us he has concern for us he didn't make us to carry those things jesus carried them for us so we can cast them to him we don't have to carry those things it's good right there here's the third decision we need to live a connected life we need to live a connected life It's amazing how at this place of pain, the place of the cross, that Jesus is connecting people. He's creating family out of nothing. Mary was not John's mama. But here he is saying, mother, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. He's creating family in this place. He's mending things. He's putting things together. That's why we say this church, like we're family. This isn't just a place we come and go. Like at Victory, we're family. We're better together. We're not part of a crowd. We're part of a family, yo. You didn't know you had family you were going to meet at church today. Well, now you know. You got a crazy uncle at church and a, you know, whoever else. Like we're just family. What does family do? Family celebrates together. Family eats together. Family has fun together. Family cries together. You know, family, you know, works through things together. Family is there to support each other. Family helps each other out when one is struggling. That's what family does. That's why we're so passionate about it here. That's why we're so passionate about groups here, about gathering on a weekly basis from house to house in groups to support each other, to love each other, to have a great time together. Some of our guys went last night to uh, the uh, Orlando Apollos game to support one of our guys in the church who plays on the team. And like, that's what we do. We're family. We gather together. That's why we love groups. The women's groups gathering together, the youth groups gathering together, the men's groups gathering together. So many groups throughout the week that, the marriage and family groups gathering together throughout the week to be together, to know each other, to support each other, to strengthen each other. It's so important. There's no greater family bonding than in the house of the Lord. Sometimes um, we go, uh, we want to have 
family bonding, and we try everything that is out there to kind of create a, a stronger sense of family. And they're good things because we want to give our kids the best, don't we? We want to have, give them the best life, and we want to have a great time living this life, and we should. But everything has to be in its right priority, right? And so often we get overwhelmed with this idea, if I'm not taking vacations, if we're not doing Disney days, if we're not doing all those things, all which are good things, all which were given to us to enjoy, right, in the right perspective, right? We just have to realize that the victorious family, the overcoming family is forged at the foot of the cross. And if we want our family to be strong, we want our our family to be raised up. We want our kids to be strengthened, to be able to make the right decisions. If we want them to be surrounded by other kids who have a heart to worship and know how to worship God, we want our kids to be raised up to know how to use their gifts, right? Because we want our kids to grow up to be better than we were, right? To not make the same decisions and and mistakes that we made. If we really want like them, we need to get them in the place where they're surrounded by that. Those things happen. Strength comes from the Spirit of God. Those things come from being planted in the house of God. That's where that is built. That's where it is built. It's living the connected life. That's why sometimes people are like, am am I the only one struggling with things? I spent so much of my life with that thought, like I must be the only one struggling with this. You're not. You're not. It's just because we haven't put our lives in a place where we're connected with others. Because the truth is, is that people around us everywhere are struggling and hurting with things every day. If we would just be willing to open up, be vulnerable, and I just want you to know that, like, we believe that that's, that's what our groups are for and do is provide a place of safety. Because I know it's, we've been hurt by people before. And it's hard sometimes to open up. It's hard to let people in, to see those places in us that are still wounded, to see the things that we cry out about, the things about us that we just can't stand. But I'm just telling you, if, you always keep it locked in. It'll never change. You might be able to change some behavior for a little while, but if you really want to deal with what's in there, it's going to take people. It's going to take the people of God gathering around you. That's what we want to do. That's what the connected life is. So it doesn't matter the size of the church. Sometimes people are like, I just can't get connected. It's too big. No, it's not that a church is too big or too small. It's just that we've prioritized other things over connecting with the people of God. Maybe that's you know, fear, we prioritize fear. We prioritize the sense of, well, I'm shy or I'm timid. No, we know that's not the spirit God's put inside of us. We prioritize other things on our schedule. About I'm just telling you, when we begin to live the connected life, man, things begin to happen. Things begin to change. It's good. Let me show you this in Acts chapter 10 because I want to give you some, uh, some vision for your family in this whole thing of living the connected life. Acts chapter 10 is a story about a Roman centurion. He wasn't Jewish. He was a Roman. He was a Gentile. He wasn't uh, he wasn't part of the family of God, but I love the way it describes him. I love this brothers in the Bible. Acts chapter 10, verse 2, it says, this man, this Roman centurion, he and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. Oh, that's good. It wasn't just him. It was his whole family. Ah, somebody needs to get a hold of this today. I don't know. Maybe you're believing for a lost uh, loved one, a loved one to know Jesus. Maybe you're, you know, you've been praying for so long. You just need... This is a promise of God for you, you and your whole family. 
will be devout and God for you. Ah, somebody needs to get a hold of this promise today and begin to declare it and decree it over your family, maybe over your kids. You need to begin to decree this scripture over it, begin to speak it, begin to pray it, begin to make up your own song about it, your own worship to God about it. Me and my whole family, we are devout and God for you. Begin to declare this over your family today. It says that he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. See, there's some hints in this passage about how we overcome, about how our families live this way. There's some hints right here, right? Because when we're hurt, when we're wounded, when we're going through some things, when, you know, what do we do? We're self over everything else. I've got to make sure I get better. I've got to make sure I'm okay. We're self. But how do we break selfishness? Because when we're selfish, we act selfish, selfishly, right? How do we break selfishness? Generosity. <laughs> Generosity, right? That's what the house of God is about. God is a generous God. So if we want to break that, we begin to live a generous life, right? And then it says that he prayed to God regularly. Well, instead of taking our problems to everybody else, and instead of letting everybody else know about it, man, what if we adopt this pray first mentality? Like not, well, all that didn't work, so I guess I better pray. No, before I go to anybody else, God, I'm going to come to you. God, what do you have me to do? What, what do you have in this situation? We begin to pray about things first. Man, everything will begin to be a little bit differently. Man, this is why I say the victorious family, the overcoming family, the family that can stand strong through a storm is built on the rock. It's forged at the foot of the cross. So how do we overcome a bad day? How do we take care of those who are near us? We need to identify the real problem, avoid the pity party. We need to get connected in God's house. Here's the fourth one. We need to look to Jesus. And really, this is where we started today, right? Fixing our gaze upon Jesus, fastening our gaze upon him. I know it's nice to say, okay, that's good, but what does that mean? Um, For me, I can just tell you what it's meant for me in my life and how I have did it is that, you know, last week I shared some of my story. One of the darkest days I've been through is when uh, we lost our second daughter. Um, it, was, it was a rough time. And I just remember going through that. I, I, I could have stayed in the pity party. And the opportunity is always there. I could have stayed and in, in drowned myself in my tears. In fact, the statistics show that 80% of couples who lose a child end up in divorce. So that was, you know, if that's the direction I wanted to go, that's where I would be. I could have stayed in that place, but God didn't call us to wallow in things. He didn't call us to wallow in self-pity or or in grief. He didn't call, no, he called us to rise up out of things. That's why he said, I've called you out of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's what he's called. He's called us out of some things into his kingdom, right? So he's called us to overcome some things. So I had to make a decision to make. I remember it was Thanksgiving morning uh, uh, when, when Gabby passed and she, we were there and some friends um, allowed us to come and just, you know, just stay at, the, stay at our house for a little while. They had a beautiful backyard. And uh, I remember we were sitting on the trampoline that afternoon and just trying to make sense of the day. You know, sometimes when you're going through some things, you're like, what is, what just happened? And we were just there, me and Heather and Bella, sitting on this trampoline of all places. And I just, we just decided that as a family right there, like, we're not going to go that direction. We just made a decision. God, I don't know what to do right now. But I am looking to you. And we just, it's a decision that we make. It's a choice of our will before anything else gets in line. The decision to say, God, I'm going to trust you more than what I can see. 
more than how I feel right now, more than what I wish I could make happen. I'm gonna trust you, God. God, I don't understand. And yes, it's through tears sometimes. That's okay. It's okay, it's part of the process. Yes, it's, it's, through, it's through wondering sometimes. Yes, those, that, those things are part of the process. But I just, I'm so thankful for that moment and for the follow-up of people in my life because I had people that I was connected to that got, that they came up to me and said, hey, you need to begin to get a hold of some things. And I began to get a hold of the word of God in my life. Like that's how I begin to change my perspective. How do we fix our gaze on Jesus? Well, John chapter one tells us that the word of God came to life and dwelt among us. Like Jesus is the word. So when we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, it's not just some things that we say, like I, I literally like begin to get a hold of the word, begin to look in the word and see what it says. Like we need to begin to get a hold of it in our lives and begin to like hold on to it. Like what, what does that mean? Like, like for me growing up with like sports teams and you hear about athletes talk about like we just, man, we wanted to win the championship. So we begin to, we get, begin to put it all over the locker room and pictures of the trophy. We're going to, we're going to win this championship and begin begin to make signs. I'm going to touch the sign every time I go out to play, play like a champion today, begin to post about it on my Instagram, take pictures of it, keep it before me all the time, make sure I'm thinking about it. Everything I do, every step on the field I take is all about so I can win. Like they, they've locked hold of that. It's the same thing for us with the word. Like if we had begin to get a hold of the word and begin to get it inside of us so that everywhere I go, it's always before me. It's on every thought that I have. It's on every word that I speak every time. I, I like, I like that's, that's what it means to get a hold of the word in our life and hold on to it. And nothing, nothing can take my eyes off of that. Nothing can pull me away from that thing. And I'm going to hold on to it. I'm so thankful that I was able to find scriptures for my situation. I began to do that. I began to get in the word and find scriptures like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that says that I don't have to sorrow like the world sorrows, like those with no hope. Because Jesus was dead and was raised to life for me so that I can be with him and be reunited with my family and my loved ones in heaven one day because we've believed. I'm so thankful for Psalms 34. I was able to get a hold of that that says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he's near to those who are crushed in spirit. Man, that was, I spent so many nights right there just in tears with the Lord. Lord, I feel so brokenhearted right now. Thank you that you're near to me. I don't know who's brokenhearted today, but I have good news. The Lord is near to you. He's near to the brokenhearted, near to those who feel crushed. So if you feel crushed, you're in good company. I just want to take this minute together, if we could, just all across this room. Man, I feel the presence of God working in this house. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. God, we thank you that you're near to us when we feel broken. 